Kaya, motherfucker. What you talking about, Willis? Say no to drugs and say yes to life. Now you're playing with power. Where's the beat? He was a little dog named Snuggles. I'm a party animal. I pity the fool. My choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. man. It's conscious choice. choice. Go downtown and have a rap. Gnaw that thing off your face. The Shapa, Sir Slangbank of Girt. You believe in miracles? Yes! I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another edition of A Fluorescent Decade on a Hill, our 1980s look back podcast. On a personal note, these last few months have been mentally overwhelming for both personal and worldwide reasons, and so I've been craving a good laugh. Hence this episode, which, as you'll soon see, goes down the proverbial junior high locker room in search for its humor. To give a bit of a warning, the stories today are all centered around pranks and the various organic material that exits your body. Yes, ladies and germs, we here at In the Corner Back by the Woodpile dare to cover the material that the highbrow network reporters are too squeamish to even give a sniff, much less dig deep into. And so without further delay, with flashlights in hand and clothespins on noses, let's get it on. So it was a tradition at my high school uh, for the seniors the day before the first day of your senior year to roll the high school and put a bunch of for sale signs in front of it. Ro- toilet paper. Throw toilet paper all over the trees or whatever. My my high school is literally in the shape of a castle. It used to be a super fancy um, hotel. It's on the top of a very steep hill with ancient oak trees all over. I mean, it's gorgeous. This is up in Chicago? In Chicago. Glen Ellen, Illinois. And so the tradition was seniors are going to roll toilet paper all over the school and put for sale signs. So, of course, me and a group of my buddies go out uh, earlier in the night. We steal as many for sale signs out of people's front yards as we can. We buy up all the toilet paper we can afford on our, you know, $3.10 minimum wage jobs. And uh, we get ready to do the deed. Now, what you need to know as a backstory is there's this dude in the high school. His name is Mike Schuster. For whatever reason, this was the kid everybody, since the day he moved to our town, everybody picked on and bullied. And Mike, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry for all the horrible stuff uh, I did to you. I'm sure lots of us are. But anyway, this was the kid that got bullied, Mike Schuster. There's four of us, and you know, we you go in waves. It's not like all, I graduated with 700 people. That's how big my class was. Not like all 700 of us show up at once. You just... You know, a group of people gets out there, they do their thing, the next group comes, does their thing. I guess we must have been one of the later groups because there was a bunch of signs already there and a bunch of toilet paper already there. So we go out and we do our thing. And, of course, the police roll up. And it's two squad cars coming from two different directions, one on this intersection, one on this. And they got their lights going. And what do we do? We're high school kids. Are we going to freeze? Hell no. We run. <laughs> one of my buddies gets away. Two of my buddies are, are caught. And uh, they're taking notes. Actually, they're in the back of a squad car. And I decide I'm going to just give up the ghost, and I stop, and I go over to 
I actually walk up to the police and, and they say, well, you're going to be in less trouble because you didn't run. All we need is your name. So I say, Mike Schuster. <laughs> <laughs> the police officers, you know, you see him lower his pen and his pad and he rolls his eyes in disgust and he just says, bull****. I've arrested four Mike Schusters tonight. <laughs> So, at that point, I just give him my name, and, and he says he's going to turn the name into the principal or whatever, and uh, I'm sure there were, you know, 50 or 100 other people. There were no consequences, literally, for, uh, for me. I never got called into the office. Uh, my friend Judd, which his grandma, if anybody knows Boonville, oh, as you're yeah. going out towards Linville, he had that huge concrete moose. But he was telling me one night, he stayed the night at his grandparents, and he's sleeping in like the living room, which is right just inside the house from where the moose is out in the driveway. In the middle of the night, he hears this big clang noise, this big crash, you know. <laughs> and he runs outside, and there's a chain wrapped around the moose. And a bumper of a truck <laughs> connected to the chain. <laughs> Apparently, somebody was going to try to pull it out of there. Really? And they lost the bumper to the moose, yes. The moose won that battle. <laughs> it's still there today. The moose it? is still there today. So, Chad Kester and I, again, as you can maybe see a theme here, he and I were our, uh, our, our good buddies, uh, pranksters. We decided to go teepeeing one night, and um, we teepeed Mike Krakowski. You know, we loved his parents, we loved his family, and it was always just for fun back then. And during the senior parties of, of Chad and I, Mike Krakowski gives Chad a gift. And it, you know, it wasn't really common for students to give other students gifts for senior parties, but everybody's like, what was going on with that? Chad opens it and it was his senior class ring and Chad had lost it and didn't realize where he lost it. He lost it in Mike Krakowski's yard while we were TVing him. <laughs> so we told on ourselves. So Mike, for the longest time, had kept that ring. He knew we did it. We, we never told him we did it, but he knew we did it because Chad's ring was in the yard and they found it when they were picking up the toilet paper. Okay, so we had a teacher in high school that I would say it was safe to say that we didn't care for. <laughs> can, we, can we get her name out there? Colleen? Colleen, yeah, we'll say Colleen, yeah. <laughs> she I, was our creative writing teacher, we'll go that way. Right, yeah. She seemed to be kind of mean to me. and she was. You know, the reason she was mean to us, she was jealous. Why? Well, she knew that the whole school was buying the newspaper because of our right. stories, you know. For folks listening, <laughs> we both wrote for the school paper, and we yeah. wrote funny articles. Right. That, that was our claim to fame in junior, yeah. our junior and senior year. Because let's just face it, you know, uh, high school journalism, they're not going to be finding some scandals. They can't no, put that in they there. They basically reported, you know, the basketball scores, and then Billy got a, a 1968 Camaro. Camaro, yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was the big story. You know, with our articles. We, we just went off on whatever tangent we were thinking of at the Pelzer gets a new stop Pelzer sign. Pelzer gets a new stop sign was a big one. We actually had like hate mail written into the newspaper. Really? You don't remember that? No. Yeah, somebody who actually lived in Pelzer was upset because we were making fun of Pelzer. <laughs> and our teacher wanted me, I think I think I was the author of the story. Right. And I know you were in the photo and you probably helped write. Because we, we well, shared. We collaborated. We yeah. collaborated on all our stories. Yeah. 
But I remember the teacher wanted me to re write a retraction in the next edition <laughs> or really? an apology. Really? You know, for, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. No, it was a joke. If people can't take a little bit of a joke, you know. Uh, but uh, back to the teacher. She wasn't our best friend, I would say. Yeah, she, she was wound tight, too. Right. You know, some people used to say, I'm. this is total conjecture, that she resented living in Boonville. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. I thought she should have been over in Newburgh with the Richies. Yeah, her husband was a lawyer, I think. She even kind of slammed us. At times, calling us rednecks and, right. and you know, a bunch of hayseeds. I mean, so, of course, we had to get revenge. So that's when we came up with the idea of the TP our house. Right. I remember it was me, you, I believe, my wife, my lovely wife, Charity. Upstairs. Back when she was just your girlfriend. Just my girlfriend, yes. And that's where we met was in creative writing class. Mm -hmm. Chris Decker, underclassman friend of ours. For those of you that don't know what TPing is, <laughs> basically you buy as many rolls of toilet paper as you can and throw and unravel it into the trees of an unsuspecting victim and they wake up the next morning to a mess in their front yard. Did we actually buy the toilet paper? Uh, I'm sure we did. Although at that time I worked at Save a lot, uh -huh. so it's probably possible that we threw some out the back door. <laughs> I'm not yeah. claiming that as a fact. I think we borrowed some <laughs> from the high school bathrooms as well. That, you know, oh, I think we did. I think yeah. you're right. The high school. So the next day at high school, everybody that pooped was basically <laughs> wiping it on their shirt. There was a lot of <laughs> because of us. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember we TP'd her house really good. And she had one of the nicest houses in Boonville, if I remember right. correctly. Right. Uh, yeah. Was, she, I think she had like two houses. It was like a house and then a guest house. But she had plenty of shrubs and trees, and they got caked to toilet paper. Another activity or pastime that I think is pretty unique to our area was corning. So do you want to explain to folks what corning was? Corning is hiding near next to the road and throwing handfuls of corn at cars as they drive by. Yeah, feed corn because it's hard. And it yeah. sounds like gravel or something hitting your car. It's terrifying when it happens to you. But it doesn't do any damage other than possibly cause you to swerve off the road. Yeah. And you would know when you're going to get it when you're coming down the road and you see corn all over the road. And you're like, oh, I'm getting ready to get it. <laughs> yeah, if you can think that quick. But the thing is, in our area, there's all kinds of like curves and hollers and things that you really, especially if you're driving at night, you're not going to see it in time to be able to react. Yeah, one of the perfect spots in Stonehaven was just as you, uh, there was the hill between the first entrance and second entrance, and when you would be on the downhill side of that, that hill, people wouldn't know it was coming, and there was a bunch of trees there you could hide in too, and it was kind of nice because it was an open yard, it was like a half acre lot that never did have a house built on it. So if anyone stopped, you could see them coming and you could run. The folks that don't understand the thrill of it is, is get it and chased. Yeah. That's the whole point, I guess, which seems ridiculous. This is way out in the country, so everybody's got guns on their vehicles. And so you hear those guns being fired in the air. It's, you kind of giggle and probably wet yourself a little bit. One night, Brett Earing was with me, and we were corning from the cemetery. And we would run straight into, everyone was gone at my house, so the house was all dark. And we would run straight to my house and go in the basement, and then we would watch cars drive around Stonehaven. <laughs> right. Looking for you. Looking for us. Right. And then we'd go walk right back out and go back out and do it again. I don't know if we ever corned together. I can't remember, but we ended up corning on Folsomville Road right where I lived. In fact, on our property, because oh, there yeah. was a nice little dip there. And, of course, I knew the woods. I grew up there, so it was fairly easy to navigate. 
I'd say one of the, the most exciting nights I can remember is to folks in Boonville, everybody knows knew this guy at the time. His, he was a, a cop or sheriff named Don King, not, not the fight promoter. He was notorious because he was obese and he rarely ever got out of his car. Yeah. So if he, if he pulled you over for speeding or something, he had this megaphone and he'd, he'd say, uh, uh, come up next to my car, please. So you'd have to get out of your car to get the ticket. And uh, so anyway, one night we're corning, we hit, you know, one of the sheriffs, we don't know which. You always, when you're corning, you say, okay, next car, next car. You hit it and, you're, and then you kind of see it like, oh no. So we're running and laughing and we hear this megaphone crack on and it's like, yeah, boys, come up next to my car, please. <laughs> so we corned him again because he knew like, it was Don King and he wasn't going to get out. <laughs> and uh, he said, boys, I'll be back. And uh, he did come back. He came back with like, another deputy or something and they had some dogs. Oh, wow. Uh, that was the most terrifying thing uh, ever. I think we were like hurtling over you know, barbed wire fences and we were clear like three three farms down before we finally stopped running you know they never did uh get us but they they did find where we hit our corn and i heard the megaphone they said boys if you want your corn back come down to the police station <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> it was kind of funny because people from that lived in town would like come out and you know and corn in other places like probably around around your place or in mm -hmm. Stonehaven or something. Most people aren't idiots and they wouldn't corn off their own property. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> Some places we corned, you know, a lot of times people, especially uh, if you corn somebody's like at a four by four, you know, they'll drive up onto the property. They're so mad, you know, they don't care what they run over. Yeah. And so a lot of property owners would put up like cement blocks and things like that just for that reason alone. To, yeah. To, to uh, discourage that. Bert, riding his mini bike, doesn't see a kite string stretched across a couple of trees, gets just cliffhangered off, like he gets tight roped, he gets clotheslined. Clotheslined off the bike. Which had to have, I mean, a kite string, I would think, would dig into your skin quite a bit before it yanked you off right. the bike. Right in the neck, and he had this horrific red mark. So we, we see him later that evening, because that was the break between church. And I walk up to him, I'm talking to him, I'm asking him about that, he's telling me about it, and it's like he can't even move his neck. You know, he's just, you can tell it hurts. Just then, Francis walks up behind him. He's a karate expert, too. He's probably a black belt by this point in the childhood. <laughs> So his move, he's always coming up behind you and like doing a karate chop or a, a, some kind of neck choke hold. Like, <laughs> and I was always tolerant of that. He walks up to Bert while I'm talking to him and just puts his hands around his neck and starts giving him like an, what we used to call an Indian burn, which is just really <laughs> painful and racist. <laughs> it was a showstopper. It brought the whole church down. But Francis was unaware of the kite accident. Okay. Oh yeah, just... Solely focused on his karate move. <laughs> Bad timing. Me and a bunch of my friends we thought was funny to like steal yard ornaments and take them and put them in other people's yards. Like how far away? Sometimes in completely different neighborhoods, sometimes just down the road. <laughs> Somebody in town had a Buddha. And that was kind of like our prized possession that we wanted to go get. So one night we got enough, I don't know what you call that, alcohol nerve. Right. Some confidence. <laughs> yeah, confidence. And uh, we went and got the Buddha. And uh, it took two of us to like pack it into the vehicle. 
and we thought it was funny and we put it in the back room at Bueller's on the there was a brick wall in front of the incinerator and we put it up on top of that wall we didn't know that the people we had taken it from was the people on home bombs to later. explain to folks, Beeler's was a grocery store, and yes. as was Bombs. And Bombs was a grocery. They were competitors. Store. One of the vendors, I don't remember if it was a bread vendor or soft drink, or whatever, seen it and must have heard about them talking about it being taken at Bombs and let them know where it was. So, <laughs> like a couple of months after it had been in our back room, someone shows up and goes to the office and says, "Hey, I would like to get our Buddha back." <laughs> <laughs> And the store manager called for somebody over the microphone to bring the Buddha up front. (laughs) Kids are so dumb. I was especially dumb. (laughs) So I remember Bert had this thing about he was funny. And he would he would like to see you suffer, like we all did. We wanted to see each other suffer a little bit, but nobody wanted to maim anyone for life. So Bert loved to jump off the teeter totter when when like say I was up in the air, fully suspended. And this is not some slow pivoting, rusty thing. It's a well lubricated, heavy board. It sent me down on my and you know just agony. It hurts. It hurts. If it didn't hit your tailbone, it would be your ankle that got nailed by uh-huh. the board as it fell. And, you know, I'd get up, chase him around until I got out of breath, and then we'd go back to being friends. And we did that back and forth numerous times until I think it was Bible school. We were on the teeter-totter, and it, he, was, he was up in the air, and I thought, I've got him this time. And uh-huh. We had not done it for a while, so it, it was kind of maybe not at the top of his mind. I jumped off, and he went down. <laughs> When he went down, clearly hit his tailbone, and then rolled over and just started writhing in agony, and I just stood there like, yeah, get up. Because all the hundreds of other times we had done it, that was the result. Uh, but no, he stayed down, and he was, he was really crying and looking at me like I was a criminal. And then, of course, all the adults... I think I'm a couple years older than Bert. And, you know, his mother came over, Charlie Hale came over, the karate expert... <laughs> Uh, you know, like every judgmental stare I could ever gotten came around me. And suddenly I'm 21 years old and this is a four-year-old kid. I'm just thrown into a river. Uh, and and they're just looking at me and they're, they're trying to like figure out if they should pick him up carefully and maybe chopper him out. And I, all these people I know that are my friends are backing away from me. And I'm getting the whole treatment. Charlie Hale came up and said, man, you've really messed him up. And, uh, and then... I see him like a week later. No, it might have been two weeks later. He had to miss several weekends of baseball. I guess he just had a bruised tailbone. Uh-huh. I'm sure it hurt. You shouldn't feel too bad because I had a similar run-in with him. Because he was a perpetual prankster. He was typical, like he could dish it out but not take it. So one time he shot me with a BB gun. And it hurt. you know, And it left a whelp or whatever on me. So I, I went to his dad about it. I said, your kid shot me. And his dad said, you just need to grow up and get over it. Well, then a couple weeks later, we got into a scuffle about something, and I hit him with a stick or a, a little board or something, and he cried and cried and cried, and he went and told his dad, and I got in big trouble with his dad, and, you know, I, I ought to know better. So, yeah, <laughs> you're not alone. Class, you're gonna like her, cause she's got 
When I was in college, I had a friend in my freshman year, and uh, I think we had a break, and he couldn't go home for whatever reason, wherever he was from, and uh, so I invited him to come home back to Indiana. And so, I don't know why, but you know, we're trying to show him like, we, that we actually had some cool things, in, not in Boonville, but in Evansville. Dad says, uh, hey, let's go to University of Evansville. It's pretty. It's nice. And it does look respectable compared to maybe the rest of Evansville, I guess. And so we were walking around, and at some point we take a picture by this golden lion. And so a, a few years later, <laughs> I know what's a few years later, uh, I think you're looking at my photo book, and you see this golden lion, and you say, "Well, I got a story about this lion, so why don't you tell it now?" <laughs> All right. So I was at the University of Evansville, and I was in Sigma Phi Epsilon. SIGEP is what we what we kind of called ourselves, or whatever. And at that point in time. Clearly the most popular fraternity on campus. And I'm not saying that because I was in it. Because I'm 47. I don't care. Whatever. Um, but it realistically, it was. It had the most members. We won all the intramural sports. Like, it was the cool fraternity to be in. And there was a rival fraternity. Well, they thought they were rivals. They really weren't. Our rivals were Lambda Chi. That was kind of where all the jocks uh, were. And they were also very popular. But this other fraternity was called SAE. And they thought they were rivals. And I need to give you guys some perspective on this. We all know, back when we were in high school, we all had that friend that, that was in the band, the high school band at a different school. And they always said, no, 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 it's different at my school. Band is cool. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, in the history of the universe, <laughs> no high school band is cool. No. You're walking around with a fucking tuba. You are not cool. <laughs> And I don't begrudge people in the band. Just embrace who you are, man. Yeah. Like you're you're in the band and you love it. Great, yeah. the band. Embrace that you're not cool. That's right. <laughs> SAE was the high school band of fraternities. No, no, it's different here. <laughs> We're cool. No, you're not. So did they have a smaller house and all yeah, that? They got a much tinier house. Like there were like 120 or 140 guys in SIGEP, and there were like 28 in SAE. Okay. That's not a joke. That's like real. How it was. Mm -hmm. And um, once in a while, uh, somebody over there would grow a big pair of balls mm -hmm. and try to prank Sigep. And it's like, why in the world? Like, you're you're poking the bear, man. Why, <laughs> why do that? So um, SAE had stolen our flag off of our house or whatever and bragged about having done it. So um, me and a group of my guys... What do they do with the flag? Uh, they just displayed it maybe upside down on their party porch or whatever like until you took it back ass. yeah so i in a i don't know drunken stupor i guess with a couple of my buddies decide the best revenge oh you got to know that that lion that you're talking about this beautiful golden lion is a statue outside of the sae fraternity house. okay decide our best revenge would be to on that line <laughs> and I think most reasonable people probably would have just <laughs> in a bag and then rubbed it all over the line but I I feel like and Tim you gotta understand I feel like that's disingenuous if you're gonna <laughs> on a lion stand on top of the lion pull your pants down and drop a deuce that's all all the great warriors in Africa that's right it, that's yeah. right you're not you, you haven't really experienced crapping on a lion by putting it in a bag and rubbing it all over there. Right. So I come equipped with my own toilet paper. I kid you not. Or should I say I <laughs> you not. <laughs> so, I don't know, it's like one in the morning on a 
Saturday or something. And uh, so let me back up here. Can you conjure up a bowel movement? No, I, I like, just waited till I had to. Oh wow! And my buddy drove me over uh, to his place. You got to know this too. Um, a bunch of my fraternity brothers used to call me the Flash, not because I would flash naked ladies, but because of the superhero Flash. Because frequently I was would have run-ins with the law or with security at University of Evansville and run away and not get caught. <laughs> so uh, I'm. It's one in the morning. I've had too much to drink. I've got to poop. And so my buddy takes me over to the SEE house, and I'm standing atop this lion with my cargo shorts around my ankles, <laughs> squatting and taking a big. <laughs> Well, somebody must have seen it from inside and called security, and security pulls up, slams on the brakes. They got their spotlight right on me, and man, I am squatted on this lion, bright eyes staring into these things, pinching off the last of the load. So I wipe, stick the toilet paper with all the poo in the mouth of the lion, pull up my pants. And take off running. I got away, man. Really? Did not get caught by security. Nothing. <laughs> it's a legendary story to this day. I don't know about to this day, but um, 12 years ago, um, I took my son to the University of Evansville as a, as a tour. And I said, hey, this is a clubhouse. I was I was in this club because, you know, he's too young to know what a fraternity was. I go in and I'm showing around. I show him my picture on the wall. Oh. And um, I run into somebody, maybe one of the officers of the fraternity. And... Um, a big thing in SIGEP is you have a PIN number or whatever, mm-hmm. and I was number 797. And um, when I explained to this guy, yeah, I'm number 797, he goes, wait a minute. The famous 797 who's on the SAE line? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's me. <laughs> wow. Like, we still tell that story to this day. So I don't know if uh, at least 12 years ago they still wow. told the story of me on the SAE line. the flu I felt like I had the fever and so I got dressed for school and for some reason my dad was there that day I don't know why usually what, what grade were you in I believe I was in like the sixth fifth or sixth grade and so I was dressed and just when I'm walking outside I start I start to feel like I'm gonna vomit and so I did vomit and I was like gagging and my dad was like, well, you got to pull it together and go to school. He's like, daddy, I cannot go to school. He's like, yes, you can. The bus is coming. You got to go. So I vomited on his shoes. <laughs> He's like, oh, man. Oh, I guess. He said, I guess you got to go to your grandmother's now. <laughs> and that was that. I was able to stay at home from school and I was sick. Oh. It was awful. Did your daddy get a new pair of shoes? No. Oh. He's too cheap to get a new pair of shoes. So he just cleaned them and went to work. He wore brogans to work. You know what brogans are? Uh-uh. They're like steel toe boots. Oh, yeah. They were black. He always chose black. Jason boots. Yeah. <laughs> so he could just rinse them off with the hose and go to school and Jason go to work. Boy, he's always walking. Yeah. <laughs> Brogan boots. <laughs> We went to a party in high school, probably 1987, out in Tennyson. And my mom had just bought me some of those new, expensive, bright white kid tennis shoes that were important back there in the 80s for girls. 
better than penny loafers, mm. you know. So I bet my mom spent 50 bucks. You imagine how much that was. We get to drinking and doing our thing, and uh, one of the girls that was pretty popular and pretty tiny didn't drink very much, and she drank too much, so I went to go back there in the by the lake and hold her hair. And as I was holding her hair, she decided to step in quicksand. Quicksand, Boonville mud, Tennyson mud, whatever you want to call it. So she started stinking, got out of there quick. I stank a lot deeper. And as everybody pulled me out, my brand new expensive tennis shoes fell off. And I had to go home with no shoes on and sneak in the house. So I don't know how many weeks, months, years it was, my mom kept saying, um, where are those expensive shoes that I bought? I don't know. I have no idea. I guess I left them at my best friend's house. We absolutely did not tell her that story until, I think I told her that story maybe about five years ago. And she still clenched her teeth and said my full name and was mad and she, uh, Always wondered what happened to him and had no idea that it was on a drunken spree that night. One of my other friends ended up backing into a tree and wrecking her car. We had to carry one other friend in the house and sneak her. It was the wildest party I think I've ever been to. I don't know how many people were. That's all we were doing was throwing up that night because there were kegs and kegs and kegs. And, you know, back then we all weighed like 100 pounds. <laughs> I could probably handle a whole keg now. <laughs> <laughs> so are the shoes still stuck in the mud? The shoes are in the mud. <laughs> and I need to ask the guy because he owns the, you know, he owns that property still. I need to say, hey, did you ever have any vintage kids watching? <laughs> 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 and over the years, all the floods, do you think any nice vintage, you know, kids showed up? They probably had friendship beads in them. I would love if me and you could go dig them up and just take a photograph of that. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be the best? They'd probably be decrepit. And... That would be almost as exciting as finding all those Atari games they buried in the landfill or the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. junior senior year and uh, we were uh, camping out at uh, some stripper pit in the middle of the coal mines and for folks listening a stripper pit is an old strip mine pit yes yeah. it's just filled in with water exactly. and has fish in it and everything exactly and kids party at it and yeah. Swimming. yeah all i really remember is going back to my truck everybody was kind of if you brought a sleeping bag they were can't they were getting into their sleeping bag or they were going back to the vehicle to sleep in the vehicle all i remember is going back to my vehicle and I, I'm sitting there in my truck on uh, the, the driver's side, and I, I looked over, and there was a, a, a super-sized bag of Funyuns. Obviously, I finished, finished the whole bag of Funyuns, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I assumed went to sleep or passed out. And uh, the next morning, I woke up, looked over, the bag of Funyuns was empty. And I opened the car door and stepped out and took one step right into a giant pile of regurgitated funions. <laughs> and uh, and oh, no. that was, luckily I didn't slip a fall. 
But but that was uh, 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 very nasty and disgusting. You got the answer in your hand. Throw it away. Throw it away. Throw it away. So your friend Dig Dug. I meet him end of my junior year of college. And we're roommates my senior year. And uh, we like to party. And I had this philosophy uh, when I was in college that if you were drinking and you threw up, it just meant room for more. <laughs> so Very Romanesque of you. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were having a party in our apartment, and it was going really well. And I kept having to throw up. And it was a pain in the ass to keep going to the bathroom to puke. Mm-hmm. So um, I went under the sink, and you know, back then, you know, in the 80s, you got a bucket, and it's got all of your cleaning supplies in it, mm-hmm. right? And I dump all the cleaning supplies out of this. I go into Doug's bedroom, which had a personal computer in it, which, like, who has one back then, right? I rip the mouse out of the computer because it's got a cord, mm-hmm. and I fashion a necklace out of the cord from the mouse and the bucket so that the bucket is hanging below my neck. So when I have to puke, all I have to do is bend over and seriously, seriously. Wow! So the rest of the night, I kept drinking and puking in this bucket with a mouse tied around my neck by a mouse from my buddy's computer. When we were done, we threw away the bucket and the mouse. I had to buy him a new mouse. So dad and I get invited to eat at a, probably an older lady's house to have some chili or something. And then after that, we go back to the church for dad to work on his stuff. And then me, I would play around probably my sisters or something in the church all afternoon. And then that evening they have a church service, but the adults are in the sanctuary and the kids are all down in the basement and they have Bible quizzing. And it's not just like a trivia night at a bar. It's actually very structured. They have these boxes. They're made out of cardboard, and they have cardboard numbers that you like tabs, like you pull out if you know the answer. So they'd say like, you know, um, what are like twins of a gazelle, as mentioned in the Song of Solomon, and they would say like A, B was a butthead, you know, <laughs> B, Paul and Silas, C, uh, women's breasts, you know, and D, you know, whatever else. And by the way, the answer is women's breasts. Yes. So we're we're sitting there. Uh, practicing because they have big tournaments in southern Indiana that you eventually have to gonna go to. And I'm not feeling well. I'm getting really, really hot all of a sudden, and I don't know why. And all of a sudden, the, the room starts to spin. All of a sudden, the leader says, uh, Tim, are you feeling okay? And I'm like, I go to answer that no, I'm not feeling okay. And all it comes out is total vomit. Oh, just chilly, you too. It's all chilly, yeah. And it goes all over all these Bible quizzing boxes that we use. Oh, and they're no. cardboard, so they're completely ruined. I mean, just so... Of course, I'm not thinking of that at the time. I'm just so sick that I just, you know, projectile puking and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, the kids are screaming. And <laughs> and the leader, it was a lady, she grabs me and, and runs me down the hallway and just shoves me into the men's bathroom. And so I try to go in the first stall that I can... And there's somebody in there. <laughs> so then I go to the, the next stall, and luckily it's it's open. So I go in, and I just, of course, I'm on, on my knees for a little while, trying to get whoever else is out. And then I just sit on the toilet and just you know sit there, like, you know, pray to God, please. In, in this, Take me now. In, in this plague. <laughs> and this, the guy next door is really uh, crapping up a storm. And it's, oh, and no. it's just wor- it's making oh, me even no. more nauseous. But I look at the guy's shoes, and I recognize him. And I'm like, 
dad? He's like, son. <laughs> <laughs> and he was sick too from the chili, but from on the other end. You know what? Tassera, got a party. I have to party. Rapping on the mic. Oh, oh, pick with my body. I'm just a man with lots of class. And when I eat a lot of beans, I have to pass gas. Okay, so I had some friends we thought was funny that we would drink a couple beers and wait till you had to pee really bad. And then we would drive to Evansville. The Oak Grove Bridge that goes over 69 was, uh, there wasn't developed. The, the bridge was open, the road was open, but there wasn't hard, there wasn't any houses on that road. It was a brand new road. There was never anyone that, that was driving on it. And we would, thought was funny that we'd wait till we had to pee real bad and we would go down there and pee off of it on the cars as they went by. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I gotta go. Oh, oh my God. I gotta go. Oh, oh my God. I gotta go. I worked at Bob's supermarket. One of my managers, he would drive back and forth to Illinois. That's where he lived. He came in one morning and he says, guys, I was driving home last night. I couldn't believe what I saw. He said, I was coming up to a bridge and I, I saw a guy pull his pants down and I thought, man, this guy's going to moon me good. But he wasn't mooning me. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> he said he, he dropped a big deuce and it perfectly hit his windshield. Oh! And even though he was repulsed by the idea, he was actually very impressed. That, that takes some timing. Yeah! <laughs> My first bomber story, I believe, uh, when I was younger, I had to be like third grade. It was the soup that did it. It was some chicken noodle soup I had. When I had that chicken noodle soup, it all came back. Where were you at when it came back? Oh, I, I did at school. I don't know how everybody else feels when they're getting ready to vomit. You get this watery, salty taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And then everything becomes numb, and the next thing it goes. And so when I was feeling a watery, salty taste, I'm like, oh, I need to go. And so I did it at school maybe three times. Got home, did it again, and then it became projectile. It wouldn't stop. And so I remember my mom giving me, what, a ginger ale and uh, the crackers, mm-hmm. saltine crackers. And that's the only time in our household you only get a soda. But you couldn't get it on a regular basis like the kids today, yeah. you know. And so she gave the ginger ale and the crackers. It came up too, along with the soup. <laughs> And it just wouldn't stop. I did it in the bed, and they said you caught a bug. And at that time, I didn't know what that, you know, what that lingo meant. Right. You know, I thought I said, well, I didn't eat a bug. <laughs> Once that next morning arrived, then it stopped. And I always think when you vomit, it's funny. You just like an everlasting faucet. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you just can't stop. You know, and I think it's funny, but it, that particular day wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't funny at all. <laughs> I guess because it was happening to me, it just was not funny. <laughs> when I was younger, and this was even up until I went into the Navy, every time we would go on vacation, I never ever pooped. Ever my bowels would just clam up. Right. When I was younger, my parents, we had like a pop-up camper, and we'd go to Lincoln uh, Park and mm-hmm. go camping, 
and you know we'd be gone you know three or four days or maybe even four or five days over the summer I never went to the bathroom so we would get home from camping the closer we got to the house it's just like okay here it comes I gotta go (laughs) so my parents would get so mad at me because you know they wanted to unpack the the camper you know wash it down and do all this other stuff well, I had to go to the bathroom, so I just, like, ran right into the house. You know, I was in there for, for how much buildup there was for, you know, two, three, four, five days. <laughs> <laughs> Even up until the Navy, and this is when it got really bad. I got in the Navy, was in boot camp, and I probably hadn't went in, like, two weeks. I was, like, starting, I was like starting to get really worried, you know, and I was, like... I, like, started talking to some other guys. I said, yeah, I haven't went either. And we all got this saying, like, this conspiracy theory that they were putting something in our food or something, you know. <laughs> you know, clog up our bowels. It's called cheese. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots of cheese. So, anyway, we were, one day, we were marching somewhere, probably to get shots. We was always getting some kind of immunization of some kind. And all of a sudden, it hit me while we were marching. And it hit me <laughs> bad. You know, things were moving and gurgling, and we still have a little ways to go. I was like, what do I do? Like, literally, what do I do? We're on formation marching. So it got to the point where it was like critical mass. <laughs> so I jumped out of line, ran up to our company commander, and said, sir, I have got to go. He goes, go! <laughs> so I go sprinting across this asphalt big parking lot thing. And I found this empty barracks, and it was just like World War Three in there, man. <laughs> I was in there for a long time. It was just, it came at you two weeks worth of buildup, um, and I was just like, I was rolling back in my head. Did you have to explain to your CO what had happened? No, he just, he could tell I was in distress. <laughs> I was probably sweating <laughs> in my, probably a little bit of the brown eye. <laughs> I just, I was thank God that, that barracks was close by because if, if it had been longer, it had been a brown mess across the asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> We was out uh, catching lightning bugs one night, and I didn't want to go in. I wanted to keep catching lightning bugs, and I had to use the bathroom so bad. <laughs> I crapped all over my oh, no. pooped in my pants. Because <laughs> I was too excited about catching lightning bugs. <laughs> and I had like a whole jar full. And I just kept catching them, catching them, catching them. And I guess I just, you know, I just lost track of time and lost track of my bowels too. And, <laughs> and I just let it rip, you know. <laughs> on this plane on the way I think from well I know it was from Nashville to Texas I think I just read a book about Tony Campolo or a book by Tony Campolo about praying for people constantly and especially when you like shake their hand or hug them or whatever just saying a prayer over them and I thought it was a pretty pretty powerful thing and as a believer and growing I thought you know I'm going to try this so as a southwest plane from Nashville flying and, and we were taxiing getting ready to take off and the girl that sat next to me I always sit on the aisle I can tell you right Southwest seat. It's the same seat every flight. And so she was in the middle. She was like goth. Black hair. Black white hair. Face. White face. Yeah. And here I am, this 
magician evangelist and uh, going to you know speak at a church or a school somewhere and pretty clean cut you might say and but it was very tight and she wasn't a small girl and and um, so my knee was touching her knee you know just it was a plane and uh, so I thought well I'm making contact with her I'm gonna pray for her hmm. so I just started praying for her and immediately as I started praying for her she went <laughs> She threw up? All over the down my leg, oh, no. uh, all over the seat in front of her. I mean, you know, the back of the seat in front of her. We're, ta- we're getting ready to take off. She pushes. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So the flight attendant comes and she gives her some paper towel. And she says, I got to sit down. I'll be right back with you. So the flight attendant sits down. We're like, get up in the air. You know, now we're, you know, uh, flying. And we get up, you know, not even to the 10,000 feet marker, but just enough to level off a little bit. And the flight attendant came back and got me to another seat and got me cleaned up. And, and it was helping this girl. And the flight attendant, after it was all kind of cleaned up, she came back to me. She goes, can I, can I get you anything? Can I buy you a drink or anything like that? She said, you were so great. I can't believe you didn't yell at her, you know. What I wanted to say is, no, no, it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't prayed for anybody since? <laughs> <laughs> I still do. doctor decided to put me on some medication that he forgot I was allergic to. It was an antibiotic. And we went all the way from Boonville to Jasper. And I suddenly felt this sudden sick urge to go to the bathroom. And it was like a bad one. And so we stopped on the way to Holiday World. You know, you go through Tennyson and there's this gas station that used to be there. Well, I'm looking desperate, dying, stomach cramps. I feel like I'm absolutely going to die and be sick really bad. So we pull up to the gas station and there's newspapers all over the wall. We're closed. It's summertime, there's no bathroom. So the next best place was the cornfield. So during the middle of the day, I was in the cornfield for quite a while, and my whole family just sat in the car and laughed and laughed and laughed. I probably hit the cornfield three times on the way home, so. Uh, I gotta ask, (laughs) did you use a corn cob to wipe with? I can't even remember. I'm sure I did something, you know, but I can't even remember. Knowing me, I had a roll of toilet paper in my car. That's just the way I am. If you're still in a 1980s mood, you might check out in the corner back by the woodpile 237 where Don Chin comes on to talk about his owning a comic book shop in the 1980s, which led to his creation of the adolescent radioactive Black Belt Hamsters and the Unfunny X-Cons series. There's also episode 224 where we share personal sports stories from back in the day, but also hear one tale of a family's flight from 1980s communist Vietnam. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. (laughs) 